morning, everyone. Uh, my name is A.J. Myers. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Alicia's brother. Um, I'm married to Doc and Kathy Noer's oldest daughter, Liz. Uh, we attended uh, First Baptist Prineville uh, from 2011 through 2018, and we served in a wide variety of ministries here. And uh, we recently moved back to the area um, this winter, and we've been attending uh, First Baptist since about February. So it's my privilege to be a part of the ending of the team that's kind of helping um, in a small way with uh, while Mike was out carrying the load of the preaching. And as he said, he's not quite back in the pulpit yet, um, just a few more weeks. And so it's my privilege to uh, be here today and to bring the word as we continue on in our series as we look at the kingdom as we're studying through the book of Matthew, as we work and look today at worshiping in our fear and our doubts. Back in my previous life, Liz and I used to run an adventure ministry called Peak 7 Adventures. And at some point in the ministry, as we train these new guides every year, um, we'd come to the spot where we would need to kind of up the ante with the new guides. And so during some of the rapids, some of the trainers would fall out of the boat randomly, and the new trainers would be tested with the fact that they needed to um, both care for the people in their boat and also safely rescue their swimmer. So we were coming up to Boxcar and uh, this rapid here, and uh, it was that time of training, and so I'm getting ready to drop out of the boat. I know I've already kind of planned that I'm going to do this, so I'm coming up. We hit the hole. I drop out. Boxcar's a really easy rapid. You go under maybe one, two, three seconds. No big deal. Well, this was a really high water year, uh, the highest I'd ever been on the river, and so I drop out, didn't really take a big breath or anything. Um, so, all right, so I didn't take a big breath, right, and there I was under the water, counting one, two, three, all I'm seeing is darkness, and then I'm continuing to count on three, four, I begin to see light, but the light is still further up than I can reach. And I just find myself there, not moving, suspended. I'm reaching out to the left as I'm in this, basically this booling of water, but I'm not moving. And where the water meets, where the, the water's going downstream and upstream, it creates this, this kind of area of, of boiling water called an eddy line or an eddy fence. I'm stuck there, and I'm reaching my arm out to the left, hoping it'll pull me upstream, and it doesn't. I reach my arm out to the right, hoping it'll pull me downstream, and it doesn't. I'm not going down. I try to go up, and I go nowhere. And as I'm slowly running out of breath, I'm counting, I'm almost to 10, and I begin to wonder, as fear and doubt begin to come in, if or when I might come up. So what does this have to do with today's story? Well, we'll get back to that later. My slides are not. There we go. They're a little slow today. All right. But we're just going to keep going, and I'm going to ignore it. All right. So, as uh, Diane read for us, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, starting verse 22. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 820 in, in the Little Bibles. And if you're in the Big Print Bibles, it's on uh, page 1042. So picking up Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, while he 
dismiss the crowds. Remember, this is right on the heels of the story where Jesus, we saw last week, for those of you who are here, where Jesus had fed the 5,000 after preaching to them, and he's now in the process of dismissing them, but he wants to send the disciples away while he dismisses them. And they're going back in the boat that they had arrived on in this area. So we're not exactly sure uh, where they um, arrived at, but we see... I don't know. There it goes. I'm having to click it twice. All right. So we see that they're arriving on the, 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 in this desolate area, and kind of archaeologists and, and uh, historians think generally this is about the area it is because it fits. It's a desolate area, big hillside. So this is probably where the general area where the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. Ready? All right, so, and in order for them to go back in the boat, we know, we, we know generally the area we started, we know they're heading to Gennesareth, and they're going to be traveling by the boat, and uh, it's going to be about eight miles across, to give you kind of a picture of those of you who have been to Prineville Reservoir from, from Bowman Dam up to the uh, area where the kind of the top wake zone is, it's about 15 miles, so they're going to be traveling over half that distance, and uh, while their boat... Uh, maybe about the size of Mark's Barbie boat. Uh, unlike Mark's Barbie boat, this boat is going to be man-powered and not horse-powered. All right? And so, we're moving on. So, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain to pray by himself. And remember that Jesus um, had gone away. Remember DJ ran us through the stories last week about how at the end of chapter 13, that Jesus had been in his hometown and he had been preaching the good news of the kingdom to them, and he, and he was so excited, hoping that they would receive him, and yet his family and friends openly reject the good news of the kingdom, and some even begin to mock him. And how devastating it probably was for Jesus in his flesh, the people he probably most desired to see receive the good news of the kingdom were the very people who most openly rejected it. And then right after that, in the beginning of, of Matthew 14, right on the heels of this, we see that Jesus' friend was, and his cousin, John the Baptist, had been imprisoned because he had been preaching the good news of the kingdom, and then now he was being beheaded, and that news had just gotten to Jesus. And so he decides it's time to take a break. He was overwhelmed, and he wants to get away, and so they get in the boat to go to a desolate place. The problem is a bunch of people see him coming on the lake, on the sea, and they go there to meet him. And so there are 5,000 men plus women and children that are there. They meet him, right? And he ends up preaching to them. He ends up feeding the 5,000. And maybe my slides will catch up. And so that's where we pick up the story. He wants to, now he's now going to get this time to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone by the boat, by this time, and they were a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So there they are. They left during the day. They're there in the evening. And Jesus was there alone on the land, and he's looking out, and he could see the boat was a long way off. Or in the Greek, it's, it's literally mini stadia. And a stadia is basically one lap around the Roman track. It's about an uh, eighth of a Roman mile. And it's uh, the Roman mile and the U.S. mile are pretty close and similar. And so there were several of these out away. They were too far to justify coming back. All right. So there they are. They're a long way out. They're too far to come back. But they are also 
Um, not as far as they'd hoped to be, for the, for the wind and the sea and, and, and everything was there and was against them, and so they're probably not as far along as they were hoping to be. And then, around the fourth watch of the night, we see that he came to them walking on the sea. And he came walking on the sea. So the fourth hour of the watch of the night is, uh, in the Roman time, they had four hours... Everybody ignore the sides. Because... All right. So there you are around the fourth watch of the night. And the fourth watch comes around 3 a.m. to sunrise, or around 6 a.m. And so there they are. They're one of the few people that get to experience the joy that 4 a.m. really does come twice a day, you know. And they're there. And they're in the morning. It had been going from, they left during the day, evening, and now it's early in the morning. And Jesus, right, rather than following the people out, decides to walk on the water. Not only is he walking on the water, but he is gaining ground on these men in the boat. But when the disciples, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Remember, these were men, many of them, who have spent their lives out on the fishing boats. They spent their time out there, and they knew what the sounds of the ocean were, what the shadows were. Just like a seasoned hiker or a camper, they're used to being out in the woods and the sounds and experiences and the shadows. But if you've ever taken somebody new out there, right, and they're camping, and they're scared of everything, the, the fear overwhelms them of all the little sounds and the, the new shadows and all this stuff, and it can be overwhelming for them. These were not those guys. These were men who knew them, and so whatever they saw was something unlike anything that they had ever seen before. Not only was it something unlike whatever they had seen before, but we see that it was in close proximity to them. In verse 27, it says, when immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And so that Jesus was so close to them that even though it was really loud, and if you ever worked somewhere that was really loud and you feel like you're about screaming at somebody and they're, and they're 10 feet away from you, that's what's going on here. There's wind and there's waves and all this stuff is going on, and yet Jesus is able to see their fear, and he's also able to communicate with them, and they're able to hear him. So they are very close to him, and this is his message to them. This is my joke, but it didn't... Uh, uh, it didn't really fall well because, you know, it didn't land in there. So, <laughs> anyways, so, continue to move on, right? And so this, here we are. Now we're caught up. Do not be afraid. This is a phrase in the Greek that is really common in the Bible. Remember, the, the disciples would have been used to hearing the Bible taught from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible. And this phrase is all over some of, the Testament, some of the stories that we're familiar with and many of the stories that we're not familiar with in the Old Testament. Take a look at this example out of Exodus 14. A little backstory. I think most of us are familiar with this story, right? They're in, the Israelites are in, uh, in the, sorry, in, there we go. All right. They're there with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh decides that he's going to let them go, right? The Israelites, they've been enslaved. They get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh decides, that was a really bad idea to let my slaves go. He sends his army after him. The Israelites are standing there at the Red Sea, and they're looking around, and they're going, there's nowhere to go. And so they turn to Moses and say, what have you done? You've just sent us out here to be slaughtered. 
And Moses then steps up in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, and this is his message from the Lord. And Moses said to them, fear not, that's our, our Greek word there, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the story of the Old Testament is littered with stories like these, where the people would be overwhelmed with fear, and God would step in and tell them to fear not. And in many of these stories, he would step in, and there would be a promise of salvation from the Lord. And then we would see that he would tell them that he was the one who was going to do the saving. And for those of you who know the story, he did save them. He parted the Red Sea and then closed it up behind them after they crossed the dry land. And I can imagine in the moment that Peter, as he's sitting there in the boat, and Jesus proclaims these words that he had heard over and over and over again in the stories as he grew up. These stories begin to overwhelm him. And this is Peter's response in verse 28. And Peter says to them, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Peter, who was full of fear just a minute ago, is now full of faith and anticipation of who it is that's really out here. And now we're beginning to get a picture of who Peter and the other disciples are beginning to understand who Jesus really is. And now we're going to watch as Peter begins to live out a story that is similar to the stories of many that he had heard growing up of his ancestors. In verse 29, Jesus says to him, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. He arrived at Jesus. There he is, standing next to Jesus on the water. And I think what we see here is what we call around here radically dependent. And we see in Peter that he is leaning on God independence in a very radical way. And while this phrase looks really good sitting out there in our foyer, this message looks really good on our website where I took this quote from. The reality is about what we're about to see is that if we're going to follow God in a very radical way, it's going to probably be a lot more messy than we would really like it to be. In verse 30, And when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And there's Peter, right? The man who in the boat was filled with fear, overwhelming fear. And when we saw it was Jesus, he was then filled with hope. And out of that hope came this great faith, so much faith that he decided he was going to want to walk on the water to Jesus. And there he arrives at Jesus, but the wind and the seas are still overwhelming him around him, and therefore he becomes overwhelmed with the same fear that just moments ago he left in the boat. And as he's beginning to sink down and fear is overwhelming him, and he sees his options being run out before him, he's left but with no option 
but to call out, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Well, what he doesn't do is go to Peter and be like, hey, Peter, um, look, you had a bunch of faith just a minute ago. Uh, where'd all that go? Uh, how, about, how, about, how about you pull it together and you wash your face a little bit, uh, wake up, and uh, let's get your act together, Peter, and uh, let's get some more faith. And then once you can kind of get your faith together, uh, maybe then you and I can kind of work something out, and, and I'll save you, right? What he doesn't do is, you know, take Peter and dunk him under the water a couple times and pick him up and throw him over his shoulder like I was doing to Liz's cousin's kids at the pool in Sun River a couple weeks ago. What does he do, right? What does he do Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you a little faith, why do you doubt? And we see that Jesus immediately, lovingly, graciously, mercifully, and powerfully reaches out his hands and he saves Peter. In the midst of Peter's fear and doubts, Jesus comes to him and saves him. Let's talk about doubt for a minute. When Liz and I were in Utah for several years, there was a story that, that, that friends and people we would meet, they all had the same story. And it was pretty incredible how, how the people from all different parts of Utah had the same story. And they would talk about when they were growing up, they would have fears and doubts and questions, particularly related to things that they believed spiritually. And when they would go to older people, they would come to them and they would say, what you need to do, and they would all tell us this, that you need to take your fears and your doubts and your questions and you need to put them on a shelf. And they all have the same illustration. Because they said, if you don't do that, if you don't put your fears and your doubts and your questions on the shelf, then this belief is going to set in. And some would even go as far to say that, that the reason you have fears and you have doubts and all this stuff is because you actually don't have faith or belief at all. Perhaps maybe you've grown up hearing things like this in the churches you've grown up in. And so they would go and they would try to put the, their, their fears and their doubts and their questions on the shelf and forget about them. But the result for many is what would happen is over time, shame and guilt would begin to set in because they couldn't overcome those fears and those doubts. They couldn't forget about them. And so shame and guilt would begin to overrun them as they begin to wonder whether they really believed at all. But what we see here in the story is a very different picture of faith and doubt. For Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And we see that Jesus recognizes in Peter in his overwhelming doubt, in his overwhelming fear, that there still is faith present there. And while it's not the faith at the level that Jesus would like him to have, there is faith there. And we see that faith and doubt can coexist. And I love this quote from Os Guinness. It says, contrary to widespread misunderstanding, doubt is not the same as unbelief. So it is not the opposite of faith. Rather, rather, it is the state of mind and suspension between faith and unbelief. And just like I was there, suspended in the river between those two eddy lines, as fear and doubt were beginning to overwhelm me, that's where Peter was. He was there, and the fear and the doubt were overwhelming him. The questions, 
perhaps even shame and guilt were overwhelming him. And it was in that moment that he called out to Jesus. And it was in that moment that Jesus came and stepped in to Peter. Not after he got over his fears and his doubts, but while he was still in the midst of being overwhelmed by his fears and doubts, that's when Jesus stepped into his life. That's when he stepped in and rescued him. And if we're going to be a people who embody and proclaim the life-giving fullness of the gospel, it is on us to then step into people's lives, not when they get themselves all cleaned up and everything figured out. And while, unlike Jesus, we can't save anybody, we can be like Jesus and enter into them in their fears, in their doubts, in their wanderings, in their questionings, in their shame, in their guilt. And there's people like this all over Prineville who are trying to put on a good face. They want you to believe that everything's okay. But as you sit and you talk with them, you know that they're full of all these things and they don't know what to do. And they are, they're suspended, drowning, moving over. Perhaps they had some faith at some point in the past and they're beginning to wonder whether they really believed it all. And we can now step in with them. And it may take days, weeks, months, years of us sitting with them and pointing them to Jesus who desires to save them out of them, to give them more faith. But that will take time. Will you have the time to sit with these people? And this story is uh, not over. We've got a few people still to talk about. We have all those guys sitting in the boat, right? His disciples, verse 32, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and all in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Right? The disciples were there. They too were overwhelmed at fear by Jesus walking into the water on them. They too were relieved when they saw that it was Jesus and heard him speak to them. They watched as their friend Peter, by faith, got out of the boat and walked to Jesus. And they saw as their friend Peter was overwhelmed by doubt and fear and began sinking. And perhaps they were even wondering if they were going to watch their friend Peter drown that day. But then they watched Jesus while Peter was full of fear and doubt, reach out graciously, mercifully, and powerfully, save their friend, and then walk back with him and get in the boat. And when they get in the boat, all the winds and the waves cease. And I believe they looked at Jesus in that moment, and they said, this man is the embodiment of all those stories about God that we heard in the Old Testament. All those stories about the God who declares, fear not, I will save you and save them. The stories about the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And they looked at Jesus and they say, this is that man. And they declared, truly, you are the son of God. And they did the only reasonable thing, which was to worship him. And this is the good news of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom is not that there's some magical kingdom out there and if we can figure out how to get there that we get a bunch of prizes, but rather the good news of the kingdom is that the king, Jesus, God himself, came to earth to bring us the good news of the kingdom. 
that he came to us in our brokenness, in our hurt, in our fear, in our shame, in our guilt, that he came not when we were ready to receive him, but when he knew that we needed him most. And if you are here today and you've never put your faith in this Jesus, that you can do that today and you can receive the promises of the kingdom. Each week, we have the elements up here at the table. And they remind us of the way that Jesus provided for us to enter into that kingdom. How Jesus went to the cross and his, and his body was broken and his blood was shed so that the kingdom of darkness could be broken and the kingdom of light could bear through. And when we put our hope in Jesus and the work he did on the cross, we can be partakers with him in this. We turn and trust in him. And as we have this opportunity to come today, perhaps you're here and maybe at some point in the past, you put your faith in Jesus. But right now, today, you're finding yourself overwhelmed with fear and guilt and shame and doubt and questionings. And perhaps you're even wondering whether you actually ever believed at all. Will you come to Jesus today? Will you come and bring whatever little faith you think you may have left? And will you bring your overwhelming fear and guilt and your shame, will you come to the table and bring that to Jesus where he desires to meet you today? And if you're here today and you're, you're like, man, I'm like Peter. Every time I think I've overcome my fear and my, and my shame and my guilt, and every time I think I got it all together, that I find myself right back where I was not that long ago. Will you come to the table today? And will you meet Jesus who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who desires to meet with you over and over and over again. And if you come back next week and you find yourself back in, in fear and shame and guilt, great, will you come again? And will you come again? And will you keep coming and keep asking Jesus to increase your faith and take away that? Will you keep coming over and over and over again? Because Jesus will not tired of, of meeting you here. And if you're here today and you're full of joy and faith, will you come to the table and celebrate the God who met you when you weren't full of faith and you weren't full of joy? Will you be reminded of what it was like to be there and how far God has brought you? And then church, will you go back as a people, as people standing side by side, worshiping our God as people who are both full of faith and joy and maybe some of you who are just hanging on by a thread full of fear. Will you come alongside each other today and worship him, King Jesus, as one body? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And God, I pray if, if anybody does, here doesn't know what it's like to experience the saving power of this God, that they will come to faith to you today. And they will come to know what it's just, they will come to begin to know what it's like to know you, Jesus.
God, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are ready to go out and share how great you are with our community. God, I'm broken by so many people who are, are full of fear and doubt and questions and wandering gods, and they don't know you. God, what a joy it is to know you. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with so much joy and hope and love and faith this week that we can't help but bring that to those around us. And in your name of your son, Jesus, who loved us and died for us, that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.